Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And today, we're going to have a little different flow to the episode today, just because Anna and I were talking before the episode came on. And I think some of those parts of that conversation were really important. So we are joined today by Anna. And I just butchered your last name (laughs) the last couple of times. So we're just going to talk about your name for the beginning. So Anna, pronounce your last Uh, name. This whole hour is going to be practicing how to say my name. That's it. My name is Anandjai Conte. And it has all of the punctuation marks and Mm -hmm. all of the consonants together just to throw everybody off. (laughs) And if you've never seen, like, that's an apostrophe, right? That's what that is? Okay. I was like, that's an apostrophe. And we have a hyphen going on. We got three (laughs) capital letters in their name. I mean, that's not including their first name. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And I'm not, I'm just like, but had to have you on the show. So I'm glad that you were able to join us. And before the show started, we were just talking about branding. Mm-hmm. Today, I'm wearing an Onward shirt, my Onward dad hat. And I thought that her and I were talking and I was, she's like, man, you got your Onward merch on. I was like, yeah, I waited for it. My, you know, shout out to my boy, Desarte Yarnway for his Onward merchandise. And it's been like, we had a call for him with Fintwit. Fintwit had put on a call and there was like quite a few of us that were all wearing the merch because we wanted to show him how we supported the merch and the battle cry. And so I was thinking about that. And I know Tyrone Ross has a a brand called 401 and the story behind the brand is just incredible. I know that George Achenpong has his minority melanin money Mm. merch. And then I have minority money merch that's coming out after that. And there's just something about that's being said for supporting people that you believe in. And there's, you know, it's one thing for us to say, oh man, we're black advisors, we're brown advisors, we're trying to support this, but you know, go out and buy some of the merch from some of the people that you want to support, right? I mean, we're talking about this, right? And it's not so much that you're helping them, but if you believe in what they're doing, and this Mm -hmm. isn't even a plug for myself, I'm just being really candid. Like, it's not even a plug for my, you know, I hope you go buy Minority Money merch, but get you some Onward merch, get you some Melanin Money merch, get some 401 stuff and continue to support the people that you want to see succeed in the industry because Mm -hmm. that matters. There's nothing like... I hopped on a call today with the Sarte this morning. We were doing something mm-hmm. else. And he seen me with the merch on. And he was surprised, like, man, oh, you got the merch. You know what I mean? Like that. That's the best feeling. Right. So support yeah. those that support you and do it as a surprise. Cause yes. it makes you feel good when you see it. Like my uncle sent me a shirt, a picture of him in one of my shirts. And I was like, oh Aww. man, he got his merch before I got mine. Oh, all the feels. Yeah, you know, and then who else got it? Shauna got some. Yeah, she sent a picture to me. So I love that stuff. And I just wanted to say in the outset of the show that, you know, support those that you want to see succeed because they are really depending on you. Yes. So with that, we're going to get into the show. I wanted to just thank you once again, Anna, for coming on. I followed you on Twitter. I know we had a call. We're actually going to be in a group together. So in a mentor group together. So we're going to get to spend some time together and just love what you're doing. So if you wouldn't Thank mind you. sharing a little bit of your background with the guests, yeah. you know, and tell them a little bit about who you are. 
Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Emlyn. I'm really excited. And I think you are like the poster child of walking the walk. You know, you walk the talk, you walk the walk, you support us and you rep us hard. And I appreciate you. And I think all of us in Finswick can say that. So I am the one with the complicated name. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in New York City to Puerto Rican mom and a Gambian dad. So I'm first generation American, which has really informed my life and made it complicated, but also beautiful. I'm a mom to three girls. So female empowerment is very important to me. And I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point too. But because of my family background and because of my daughters, I rep the ladies hard as well. And I'm a financial advisor based in the DC metro area, the DMV area. And I serve as a financial planner for women of color and mostly female entrepreneurs. That seems to be who most of my clients are. Awesome. Now, you talked about being Gambian and Puerto Rican. Will that qualify as being Afro-Latina? Yeah. You know, it's so funny because I was talking to my husband about this. I definitely identify as Afro-Latina, but that's more of a recent thing. When I was younger, even though I have a lot of Black Puerto Rican family members. Mm -hmm. I really just identified as Puerto Rican and I knew I was black and they always talked to me about how I was black, but it wasn't as much of a thing. I was like, I'm Puerto Rican and I'm Gambian. That's really Mm -hmm. it. And it was as I got older that I started to really identify with that because I saw a lot of myself in other Afro Latinas as well, like across the Latin American background spectrum. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about, so as I, and this is just for me because my daughters are half black and half Mexican. So I was like, does that qualify for Afrolet? So when I see you like, yeah, that's it, you know, and I've seen some of your posts in Spanish. So when you speak Spanish, like I just love I love culture. I love people. I love learning about stuff. So seeing like just you and we were on a call the other day and you had a shirt that said Empowered Latina. And I was like, yes, I love it. You know what I mean? All day long. (laughs) And that's just, you know, I love that. So I'm glad that we were able to get you on the show. And you have your own podcast, too, don't you? I do. Yeah. So my podcast is called First in Realness. And it's not necessarily like finance focus, which I think a lot of people assume it's like money finance focus. I do talk about money a lot and financial issues a lot, but it's really just focused on the first generation American experience and talking about all of the intricacies and like the complexities that come with that, you know, talking about language issues and representation issues and really how people have taken their own path to forming their American identity because it it looks different for all of us. So I'm sure your kids will have a different identity experience than I did, but we all come into things on our own. And it's really just to form a community and to have a lot of different perspectives that make people feel less isolated, I guess, because I think from when I was creating the podcast, I was really thinking about, you know, my own identity journey and being mixed, being first generation, like how I relate to my broader family, let's say my family that's in Gambia, my family that's in Puerto Rico. And it was very complex. And I'm not going to lie, like it was really emotionally troubling for a while in different ways because I was black. But for example, I didn't eat mac and cheese or collard greens. And so my Black American friends, my African American friends were talking about this stuff about going to Baptist church on Sunday. I'm like, I don't do that. And so it was hard for me because I didn't really identify with that. So anyway, all that's to say, I wanted to create a space where we could have these conversations and people could feel a sense of community and kinship with other first-generation people. And I think that it's so important for you to say that because 
at the outset or like people just see you and they just assume you're black, right? Like yeah, you're just black and, I am. and you are American, you are first generation, but there's more to your story, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that we do a very, very good job of packaging someone up and saying, oh, okay, she's black. She likes green. She yeah. likes mac and cheese. She's Baptist. She's this. And we conclude your story yeah. before you even get a chance to start. And I think it's so important for us to, as people, just to embrace other cultures and embrace others' experiences because everyone has mm-hmm. their own unique experience. And so this is one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on because this is the culture, mindset, money, empowerment, all the things that you're talking about are very important to the overarching theme is to American people, right? That's, yeah. who we're, you know, reaching all, all groups of people. So once again, I just, I'm encouraged by what you're doing and I just couldn't wait to get you on. So with Thank that, you. and then you talked about language and like so many different, fa- I mean, we had this whole conversation could go so many different ways, but when you're talking about mindset and money, how is yeah. shifting the relationship to money and building wealth why is it so important to shift that mindset yeah. for minorities to build wealth? Why do you feel like that's important? I think there are two aspects to that, but I really, this is from my perspective and also from working with clients, but in terms of my own journey, I grew up, you know, I was pretty middle-class. I'm not going to say like my parents, you know, we were doing all right, but not great. But, you know, my parents came from very poor backgrounds. Like my mom grew up with single mom. And my grandmother came here from Puerto Rico with my mom and my aunt as little kids. And they grew up in the projects. And even though my mom went to college, she was the first in her family to go to college. My mom was like really resourceful, won like a special scholarship for women of color to go to college and had her free ride to study accounting. She had a free ride. She studied accounting, good with numbers. Even there, she was not great at managing money. And I think part of that has to do with this scarcity mindset, right? And this, you live for today because you don't know what tomorrow is going to happen. You always feel like you're looking from hand to mouth, as they say, right? You're looking every paycheck, like, okay, what's the payment for this thing? What can I afford? Like, what's my paycheck looking like every month? And that's all you're considering, right? You're not considering what you're going to do and need 10 years down the line. You're not considering what you're going to do and need 20, 30, 40 years down the line. And so the cumulative effect of that is that you don't really make that much progress, right? And all of that comes from, I think, our backgrounds. And a lot of us, you know, frankly, we don't come from money, whether wherever in the world you come from, like, even if you come from money overseas, my dad actually came from a decently wealthy family in Gambia, but Gambian money is different than American money. (laughs) So grandpa had lots of money, but that didn't translate. So as soon as dad got to America, he's on his own, right? And so I think you're starting from scratch when you come here and you're navigating the system and all of these things can be really hard to switch to this building generational wealth and all of that, I think, because we don't have the tools and the perspective, I think, that some people that are better off do. And I think if until we do that, even if we make more money, even if we have the good job and the steady paycheck, the steady income, we don't see much traction because we haven't shifted that mindset. Mm-hmm. How did you see that mindset shift in yourself? Well, I mean, the first thing was, I just was like, I can't live like this. Like I saw how my sisters were living. I saw how my aunt was living. I saw how my mom was living. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I'm not going to do this. So I think 
really having that determination was the first step. Like I knew there had to be something better. And I think getting into this industry really helped me too, in that I saw what was possible, right? Like I saw somebody with the $20 million in their portfolio that they're never touching. And I was like, well, dang, um, how mm-hmm. do I do that? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that was just straight education about finances, but also examining a lot of the money stories that I heard growing up and a lot of the, frankly, very stressful and anxiety-ridden experiences that I had around money growing up. Mm -hmm. My entire childhood, my mom and dad both worked two jobs practically. So you can imagine what that was like. Everybody was always stressed about money. And examining that and seeing how those behaviors reflected in my own tendencies was really the game changer for me. And it was painful. It was hard. It was, and I'm still doing this work now too, but realizing that I was my own worst enemy because I had good paying jobs. I had decent cash flow. And even if I had student debt and all these other things, I still wasn't making the kind of progress I wanted to in large part due to that mindset. And it's funny that you bring that up because that's, that goes back to some of the questions that I asked to some of my clients when we're meeting, right? What's your <laughs> first memory of money? What does money yeah. mean to you? You know, yeah. because I think having the understanding to unpack how money was introduced to you as a child and mm-hmm. how that introduction to money, wherever it was, and what your relationship with money was, was really shaped by what you've seen in your parents. Yeah. You know, and I think that it's very, very important for us as individuals and as planners to be able to have that money story and understand mm-hmm. why you do some of the things you do. And then yeah. really like, this is something that we've been going through, my wife and I, trying to get through, like we've lived in scarcity for so long, like thinking yes. like in that scarcity mindset, mm-hmm. even down to something simple as like, we're going to rent, you know, our anniversary is coming up and I didn't forget our anniversary is coming up and we're planning a trip to yeah. go do some stuff, you know, we're going to take the kids and all that. And we're looking at the hotel rooms and, you know, when we first started dating, like it was money situation was a little different. You know, and yeah. she was like, well, we're going to have to, you know, now things are better. And we're looking at a hotel and she's like, well, you know, how much are we going to spend? You know, I mean, I don't even know if we can do it. I was like, are you being serious right now? Like, not that yeah. we're, you know, now we're trying to spend, you know, $800 a night on a room. I yeah. mean, I said, we can spend a little money on a room. I said, this yes. is our anniversary. We're doing this together. Holy. This is, And she was like, you know what? I didn't even think of it like that. It's just that I've always, and this is both of us, I've always operated from, okay, well, if we do this, then what are we going to have to not do because we're doing this activity? Yeah. It's really cool to hear you talk through your money experience and how it, you know, is the mindset really that has to change, which can lead to next other things. What are your views on economic empowerment for women and minorities? I just just share your views a little bit with she's like she said, I you know. feel so strongly about this. Like I'm gonna start <laughs> shouting at you if I get too well. Just let me know. <laughs> no worries, we're good to go. I mean, I'm asking the question, I'm move out the oh way. Oh my God. I am Puerto Rican after all. My mom is the loudest human being on earth. She is the sweetest human being on earth, actually the sweetest human being. But she is I'm always like, Mom, why are you shouting? She's like, I'm just talking. What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, I'm about to channel my mom real quick. Question before you get into that. I just okay. want to know this. So when you and your mom talk, do you guys speak in Spanish? Both. I just wanted to know, just curious. Yeah, mostly Spanish, but mm-hmm. I think it also depends on who's around too. Mm-hmm. When my mom's family's around, it's like almost exclusively Spanish. When there's somebody else, like my husband doesn't speak Spanish. He's not Puerto Rican. He's half Gambian, half Ghanaian. We're a whole big old mixed household. <laughs> so when he's around, we usually try to make sure that he understands what's going on. Unless we're talking about him, then it's always Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we're talking smack. Yeah, it sounds like my wife, but her and her yeah. mom, 
I think they like me. I think like, no, I know my mother-in-law is great. My in-laws are great. It's just funny to think about that, but no, I don't. So economic empowerment for women. Yes. So important. Okay. Back to the green. All right. So it's very important for me. So speaking of my background, my mom was raised by a single mom. My grandfather died like literally within a week of my mom being born. So my grandma was alone. My mom was a single mom before she got married to my dad. A lot of strong women in my family. I only have sisters. And so I saw firsthand really awful situations from like just terrible jobs to terrible husbands, like actually domestic violence situations, neglect situations, all of those things happen. And I'm not going to say that there's obviously a lot of mindset things and a lot of nonsense that people are accepting because of their own lack of self-worth and all that. Put that aside. But at the end of the day, I really feel like if those women had had financial means. They would not have put up with that. They would not have stayed in those kind of situations. They would have realized that they could do better and felt more free. And from my perspective, I want all of my clients to feel free and like they can just get up and leave whatever situation it is that they don't want to be in anymore because it's just not suiting them. Even if it's just it doesn't have to be really extreme abuse, neglect, those kind of things. It could just be, you know what? I'm not feeling this anymore and I don't want to do it. And so I'm out. And I think everybody needs to have that because it's such a freeing feeling. And I wish that for everybody. You know what? I love it because it leads right back into, so this is why you think it's important for people to have the, what is this? I don't have to deal with this shit money. <laughs> yes. So let me just like, I don't have to deal with this shit money. Like talk to us about that. And I'm going to keep it, we said, you know, we keep it PG 13 on the show. I think it's 13. (laughs) I don't know if, you know, my 13 year old better not be saying shit, but I don't know. Maybe she says it every once in a while. (laughs) Oh my gosh. My dad's not listening. Right. Like I'm still worried about my aunt. Like, boy, you on here talking. I was like, "Hey, hey, hey. So I don't have to deal with this shit money. Tell me what that is. Yes. So that really is, I mean, people talk about emergency funds in this industry, right? And I think it is important to have some money for job loss or somebody gets sick and you got to take time off. But I also think viewing it, it doesn't have to be just like a catastrophic situation. And that's why I like to reframe it as I don't have to deal with this shit money. Like Mm -hmm. you have that money, whereas your boss is tripping. You know what? I'm not dealing with you anymore. Like it's not for my mental health. And I had this situation I did not have, I don't have to deal with this shit money. I just had a very supportive husband, but I had a horrible boss. And he was just like, don't do this anymore. And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. So I left, but not everybody is in that position to do that. So from my perspective, I want everybody to have that pot of money to whereas they feel the freedom to make choices based on what they genuinely desire versus what they're scared of losing or scared of, you know, the future, what have you. I think it's, so important. And I think, you know, in particular for people of color, like we were talking about having each other's backs earlier, you know, society in general does not have our back. So we have to really be more self-sufficient as a community, but also as either individuals or family units, we have to be able to tell people like, you know what, get out of here. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. And I'm not going to put up with your nonsense, no matter who you are, because I have the wherewithal and the self-sufficiency to be able to walk away from that. And I recognize that that is a blessing and it is a privilege, but I think that more of us can achieve that once we break through some of our money habits, poor money habits, and 
set ourselves up for financial success that way. I totally agree. And I think that as you're saying that, like we call it an emergency fund, but I think the lack of financial understanding has led to being in a situation that a lot of us find ourselves in where we can't have that. I don't have to deal with this shit money because if you really think about it, like being strapped with debt makes you have to stay in a job that you really don't like because you have to pay for the things that, you know, it's about that, that saying, do you own your things or do your things own you? And when you put yourself in a situation where the things that you have own you, you have to like, I can't get out of this situation because of, I have these debt obligations. I have to pay for this mortgage. I have to pay for this. And if you really looked at it, like I think for this year, for us not have to deal with this shit money is paying off debt. Like after the debt is done, then it's like, you know what? I don't have to work. I don't need to make as much money to pay for debts that I don't have. Thank but, you. So I think when we get into the cash flow and budgeting piece of talking about finance, that's so important. And it's the fundamental building block of having wealth. And it's so crazy that people don't want to talk about that. People don't totally. ever want to talk about that. Like, you know, I remember uh, basketball player, Tim Duncan, people always, you know, he didn't have a flashy game. He's in the Hall of Fame, won a couple championships. I think he won five. No one talks about that because he didn't have a flashy game, but he had the best fundamental game of a big man maybe that we ever seen. And the fundamentals put him right in the Hall of Fame. Wasn't flashy. Wasn't the one. I mean, he'd dunk on you if he had to. And he's not even one of my favorite players. I actually didn't like mm-hmm. Tim Duncan because my favorite player was Kevin Garnett, which has nothing to do with any of this. But just wanted to say that. But what that tells me is fundamentals aren't sexy. No, they are not. They're not. It's boring. But at the end of the day, it's what really makes a difference. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and she was she's somebody that teaches early career people how to set their finances up appropriately. Right. And she was saying, you know, she's a black woman. She's a lawyer. As soon as she graduated law school, she was like, I went and got the best car and I went and got the best house and I rented the fanciest apartment in the luxury high rise. And I did all of that stuff because I was making, you know, six figures. And I thought, yeah, I'm good. But, but what I didn't realize is that chained me to that job and that terrible boss, right? She didn't enjoy where she was working. So she had to work to pay down her debt, reduce her obligations just so that she could switch a job. And I think part of that money mindset that we were talking about and shifting the way your relationship to money is structured, part of that is saying, okay, let's say you got your job. And this is obviously best done when you first start off, but anybody can do this, is to say, all right, what do I want to achieve long-term? So making sure that your retirement is set, whatever emergency fund, I don't have to deal with this shit money, however you want to call it, that that money is getting set up that your whatever other goals you might have, whether you want to buy a house and all those kind of things, make sure those things are done first, guys. Like if you take anything away from this, do that first so that then from there, whatever's left over is what you have to work with. So then you get yourself your car, you get yourself your vacations, you do whatever it is that you want to do. Stand your kid up for the private swimming lessons, whatever. But you do that after everything that's really important and really fundamental for your long-term financial health is set up first, right? It's real important. And we're on the debt pay down thing too, because I really am like, listen, you know, 
I feel very fortunate to be an entrepreneur and doing what I'm doing. I love it, but my husband is an employee and he's like, you know, his boss at the moment is stressing him out and we're dealing in lockdown and all this stuff. And we have those extra pressures that make it not possible for him to just quit his job. So I'm like, all right, that's the next item. Like his dream is to sit in his office and read books all day. He's a PhD, read books all day and write papers and go on speaking engagements. Like that's what he wants to do. But when you have debt, it's not necessarily conducive to taking that leap. So we're on that right now because life is too short to be living it on somebody else's agenda. I'm not here for that. 100%, 200,000%. Like I couldn't agree more. And it's like debt is like that ball and chain, right? You just kind of take it with you. And there's certain things that you can't do when you got the ball and chain. Like think of it this way. This is just an analogy that I'm making up right now. So you're on the ship. (laughs) It sounds kind of weird because, but anyhow, we're on the ship and you got a ball and chain and you're only so far from the shore. You can see your dreams on shore. You need to get to shore so you can do what you got to do. But if you jump off with this ball and chain, you're not going to make it because you're going to sink and the debt will drown you. The debt will drown you. That's what that debt is. So pay it off. Yes, man. And this has been awesome. So I heard you have a new money management course for women of color. Tell us about that and what can we expect from it? I'm really excited about it, actually. So before I do in that, I'm actually launching a mastermind group with 20 women that are in business, women of color. And we're going to walk through personal finances and business finances, which I'm super excited about because, you know, black women are out here starting businesses at an exponential rate. I think it's like 40 something percent of all the new businesses that are started are started by black women. And I think a lot of the reason that small businesses fail is because they're not managing their cash flow and their money appropriately. So I'm partnering with somebody else and we're offering this mastermind group to help people get their finances on the personal and business side right. But beyond that, from that, I'm also going to be launching some content around personal finance. So we're going to talk about in a group setting, because I think we don't discuss money as a collective enough, right? And I want to create an open, safe space for people to talk about money and talk about challenges. And there's some kinship there that I think can be reassuring, like, oh, it's not just me that has done these stupid things with money and you don't judge yourself so harshly. So we're going to walk through for that. We're going to walk through the money mindset. We're going to go through the basics too, creating a net worth statement and tracking it, creating a budget, monitoring your cash flow and the basics of investing for education for kids, for retirement, all of that. So we're going to be launching that later this year. I pushed it back a little bit because I'm really passionate about doing this business mastermind, but I'm excited about both of them, frankly, because I think it's going to be game changing. There's not enough good, solid information, as you know, Emlyn, out there for us also, because it's oftentimes old white dudes named Bob, no shade to Bob's, but I do name Bob's that are producing this content and it's not necessarily relatable to younger black and brown folks, you know? Yes, you're right. And like I said, no offense to Bob's or Karen's because my buddy's daughter's name is Karen. And he always says, I hate how everybody always talks about Karen. So I'm just going to say no offense to any Bob's or Karen's out there. I promise you that we saying this with love in our heart. But what we want to see is black and brown faces and we need to see more of them. And that's what we want. That's it. Totally. So as you know, and this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. So mm-hmm. what inspires you and motivates you to continue to grow and learn? I feel like it's my daughters. And also, like, I'm doing this for my mom and my aunts and my sisters and my grandma that, like, didn't 
have the possibility or the wherewithal to do what I'm doing, right? Like I'm doing it for all of them, no pressure at all. (laughs) But that's really what empowers me because I feel like they sacrificed and they were not able to do whatever their heart desired. And so I'm here to shatter all of that nonsense and do more and live my dreams. Nice. I like that because basically what you said is it's bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And as long as you have something that motivates you that's bigger than you, then it mm-hmm. really empowers you to continue to grow. It'll get you through those tough times when when you're having struggles. It reminds me of a Big Sean song that you might want to listen to. It's called Bigger Than You. Okay. I listened to that song. And at the end of the song, and I'm just throwing this in here, but at the end of the song, Big Sean talks is talking to his mom. And uh-huh. his mom is like, you know, she's like, I feel like I'm living through you. Like I get Aww. to see you do everything. It'll bring tears to my eyes every time I oh listen to God. it. It motivates me. So, me cry. But it's like, you know, <laughs> if you're winning, then I feel like a piece of me is winning. And so yes. I'm just, you know, I'm rooting for you. And this is coming from his mom. And so when you said that about your mom, I think about my mom. My mom passed away, but I know she's still mm-hmm. watching me. My grandmother, my grandparents, and all my ancestors that are pulling for me, like they're pulling yeah. for you. So that is powerful. Do you think that education plays a big part in wealth building? So, but I also think that we really overemphasize sometimes education, especially as black and brown folks, like you, I mean, you have to go to grad school, you have to be a doctor or a lawyer, especially these first generation parents. Like my choices were be a doctor or be a lawyer. Like that was it. And it was really, my dad really wanted me to be a lawyer, but I was not interested. I think there are a lot of really sustainable paths. You look at like a lot of the blue collar jobs too. So you can have a blue collar job and still make a good amount of money. Having said that, though, if you don't have the education on how to manage your money, manage that higher income, then it's problematic. So financial education, 1000%. General education, I think you have to know what you're doing and have a trade and have a specialization, but I don't think that it's the key. I love it. And since we're talking about family and your three daughters and your husband and the mom and your sisters, so how has your family supported you on this journey? Oh my God, my family. My mom is, like I said earlier, the sweetest lady in the world. Like I can read you a text that she sends me. She listens to every one of my podcasts, reads every one of my blog posts. And then she sends me adorable little texts that say things like, here, I'll tell you right now. Mm -hmm. She said, hi, sweetie. I listened to your podcast today. It was great. The person you interviewed was amazing. Keep up the great job. You are developing great interviewing skills. I look forward to another podcast. I love you. And then like 20 heart emojis. Man, my family is just amazing. My mom is my biggest cheerleader. My dad, he's less effusive, but he's definitely very supportive. And my husband is currently wrangling my small children. So while I'm doing this, he is also very supportive. (laughs) Yes. That family piece is so important. Like, and I love that you brought in your husband as he's out there wrangling the kids because I think about, so I went on that journey and I'm not trying to take away from what you said. I just want to add to the importance of family. But when I went on my little motorcycle trip that I went on, my Mm -hmm. wife was here. Like I was like, we rode 14 hours a day, you know, and it was so tough and knew this and that. So I called back home and I'm talking to my wife and the kids are asleep. She's exhausted. And I get back and I'm kind of like, I'm helping her more when I get back. And I'm like, you dealt with all this on your own while I was gone for a week. Like you let me leave for a week. And she just handled everything. Like, you know, she's just great. And I think that sometimes the spouses, you know, we're out in the front doing the stuff and the people that see us, but they don't see the support system that we have behind us. And I'm glad that you have that support. It's awesome to see. And I, you know, shout out to my wife. She's been supporting me. Shout out to your husband for supporting you. Yes. And if your kids run in on a podcast or two, hey, you know, it's, it's real life. It's yes, real life. it is indeed. I can hear them screaming in the background. Right? 
I can hear my, I, yeah, they're out there just having a good old time. So I got to go help my wife here in a sec. <laughs> so if you could offer a piece of advice for our listeners, what would that be? I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, like putting the long-term health of your finances before anything else. Like I am all about living your best life and living with joy. Cause I'm not, I don't believe in deferring enjoyment. So you turn 65 and you retire. I'm not for that. But I do think that you have to prioritize saving before anything else so that, because the thing is like years go by without you even realizing. I mean, I've been in my house for the last five months. And if you had asked me, I would be like, that was like two weeks ago when the lockdown started. No, it's August. Time goes by. And if you're not mindful of that, it gets away from you. And as you know, time is the one thing that you can't get back in general, but also in terms of investing and compound interest and all those things. So the sooner you start and prioritize that, the better. Awesome. And it's been an awesome, awesome, awesome having you on the show. We're going to have you pronounce your last name one more time because we had so much fun with it. And as I'm looking at it, like I thought I had a lot going on, but you got it going on. So <laughs> Anna. Njai Conte. Njai Conte. I got it. Njai Conte. There we go. There you go. So if the listeners want to get more of you, where can they find you? What social medias are you active yeah. on? So I'm really active on Twitter and Instagram at A-N-J-I-E-K-O-N-T-E. Less so on Facebook, but I'm on there too. Mm-hmm. And my website is daretodreamplanning.com. Nice. We will have all of that in the show notes. Anna, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Just chopping it up with you. Just sitting yeah. here and just chopping it up and just keeping it 100 like we always do. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wish you the best success. Most of the success with the new ventures that you're on. I'm sure you're going to do a great job. And you know, we will be supporting you and all that you do. Thank, thank you, you again. Emlyn. It's been so great. This is the Minority Money Podcast, and I'm your host, Inland Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, We're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.